This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If someone has just had surgery and then they speak to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you've got to do this and you've got to take these these medicines at this time. And the patient will often say, OK, yeah, yeah, I've got all that, but maybe hasn't. But if they're actually talking to a chat bot, so basically just a robot, they're actually more likely to ask questions and get them to repeat things. So oh, how many pills was that? Because they're not taking up the doctor's valuable time. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the production editor at BBC Focus magazine. This week, we cast aside any Hollywood depictions of skull-crushing Terminators trying to overthrow humanity, and instead we look at the real-life robots that are making a positive impact in our lives. Whether it's piecing together cars in a factory or performing intricate surgery in theatre, robots have given us the ability to perform tasks our human hands could never dream of doing. To guide us through the weird world of automatons and androids, we're talking to Dr Lucy Rogers, an engineer and fellow of the Institution of Mechanical Engineers. As a maker, she knows a thing or two about building these mechanised marvels, and as a judge on the recent BBC series of Robot Wars, she's well-versed in smashing them to pieces too. She speaks to Alexander McNamara, online editor of Science Focus. I'm Dr Lucy Rogers and I'm a mechanical engineer, a fellow of the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. I'm also a maker, so I make a lot of things and I get to play with robots. (laughs) So what exactly is a robot? Uh, Interesting that robots can mean so many things to so many different people. Um, For the purposes of uh, BBC Robot Wars, a robot was generally a remote-controlled vehicle that could fight but we can have robots that can completely autonomously do things on their own Um, we can have robots that can answer us back so the um the virtual assistants that we've got in our phones or in our homes uh that we that we speak to and ask them for the time or the travel updates they can also be called as robots so it's really difficult to actually define it. But it's something that it's a, it's a machine that does something with a bit of intelligence inbuilt. Okay. So sort of like sort of like artificial intelligence in that way. Yes. Uh, but we've got robots that do stuff on manufacturing plants that we just program to do one job. 
they're very much mechanical devices, as it were. Yes. Are there different types of robot? As you you know, you were mentioning the ones in the plants. There, what what different types do we have? There's all sorts of types. We've got um, ones that are. Um, fluffy and can react to you and they're being used in hospitals to uh, like um, pet therapy so you can stroke these these robots and they'll react and wag their tails or whatever and they've got uh, there's one called paro that's a big seal um, and it has lovely big eyes and looks at you Um, there are ones that are on other planets. Uh, we've got some Mars rovers that are doing things that humans could never do out up there. Um, we can't send humans to Mars yet. And so they're drilling and having a look at the atmosphere and what the, the, the planet is made of and actually drilling down. So we've got robots there. So, so we've got robots in factories. Um, we've got robots, robot drones that are taking life belts to people who need who are at trouble at sea so we've got all sorts everywhere it's it's really only limited by imaginations so it sort of suggests to me that they're they're doing things that that we can't or maybe don't want to do yeah they're taking a lot of the dull the dangerous the dirty work away from us so we don't have to do it and they're doing stuff that's yeah a lot of it's repetitive that we don't want to do um so yeah, they're they're doing a lot of great jobs. So like the the I'm intrigued by the the, the fluffy para robot though. What's what's that? You know that sounds like it's doing something completely different. To... Yes, well that's still reacting. Um, so if you can uh, imagine, I suppose it's more like a child's toy, but it's reacting very much like a pet. But taking a Pussycat into a hospital probably isn't good for allergies and cleanliness, whereas actually this this robot you can take in. Uh, so it, it depends on what we want. So that one is very calming. And it's also been found, not, not the paro robot, but uh, if someone has just had surgery and then they speak to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you've got to do this and you've got to take these, these medicines at this time. And the patient will often say, okay, yeah, yeah, I've got all that, but maybe hasn't. But if they're actually talking to a chat bot, so basically just a robot, and it doesn't actually have to be in physical form, it could be over the phone, um, just a voice that they're talking to. They're actually more likely to ask questions and get them to repeat things. So how many pills was that? Because they're not taking up the doctor's valuable time. They know they're talking to a robot. And so they also know they're not going to be judged by this robot that's saying, no, it's three pills three times a day. It wasn't four, four pills three times a day. It's not giving that judgmental, I told you that once. <laughs> so we're sort of using robots in a, in a, that sounds like a sort of unexpected way, that, that how humans interact with robots to me. Yes, yes. Um, we're Sometimes I'm not quite sure of um, some of the ethics on this because we're demanding things from some of these robots, but we're actually talking to them in our natural language. But we're missing off the pleases and thank yous. So I'm I'm a little bit concerned about this. (laughs) I'm sure. um, I I mean, that's one of the things. When you say it's like a voice down the phone, I I would personally, if I'm talking down the phone to someone, I'd say please and thank you. And if I knew it would a robot, would would I or would I not? Um, is that kind of the reason why we make robots sometimes look a bit like humans? It's, diff- it's difficult to tell. I mean, sometimes we're, we're, we were brought up with the thought of artificial intelligence really coming from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. 
of Frankenstein's monster. And so that was the first humans have created a living thing idea. Um, and it was scary. And every horror story since has been artificial intelligence, has been scared, something we've created, and then it's gone off to do scary things. And so we've sort of got this background feeling of all these things are quite scary. But also humans are very good at seeing faces in things. So even if we make a robot that doesn't look like a person, we can see its face often somehow, either through sensors or it's um, just where it happens to have a microphone or a camera or something. We can see faces in it. And we like to um, make things alive. So I think that's quite a lot of it when we want to do that. But there's some there's some robots, um, for example, the um, ones that surgeons are using to actually do intricate surgery, where a surgeon's hand is so big um, if they want to do extra special delicate stuff, they're doing it in a uh, like a booth where they're remote controlling a robot that's actually inside the person. So not so they've opened up the person on the theatre table and the robot has got uh, fine instruments and the surgeon can actually make make larger movements with their hands that scale down so that the robot makes tiny movements. Um, so that that's one of the really interesting ways that we're we're adapting what we can do, and we've reached the limits of sometimes what humans can do. Um, you know, we can't really. I'm sure the best surgeons can move our instrument point one of a mil without shaking slightly, right. um, but a robot could. So we can get it to do that. So it's really sort of like we we we're using them in, uh, as an extension of ourselves to sort of help with. As you say, like the bo- boring things, like the repetitive stuff, but then also this incredible intricate, detailed things as well. Yes, yeah, we're, we're using them to our advantage, which is mm. great. <laughs> um, now, I know the the the, the term uh, robots was first used um, in the Carol uh, Chapek play, Rossum's Universal Robots, and that was I know that that was very much human-like creatures uh, doing re- these repetitive workers' tasks. Did that sort of do you think that sort of started the whole thing off after Frankenstein down this sort of human-like route of um, robots? It could have done. I'm remembering my first real experience of robots was Isaac Asimov's uh, science fiction series, Robots and Empire. And our Daniel uh, Oliver was a humanoid robot that could actually pass as human, you wouldn't know. But they... I remember really clearly reading that when I was a teenager and they made them humanoid so that you didn't have to reinvent all the tools that humans use. So we've already got, um, and it was the example back then when self-driving cars hadn't really been thought of, that a robot could then get in a car and drive a car just like a human could. Or a robot could jump down and get up into the tractor or then could use the hand tools that a human could. And so a lot of it was um, we're making them humanoid to do that. But the human body is so complex. Um, We're trying to make prosthetics for people who maybe have lost a limb. And actually to redo or to make something that we take for granted, like a wrist movement, and actually make that robotic is really complex. Um, And so, yeah, nature's still got some things we need to learn. So how, how how well are we doing now um, as compared to, say, 10 years ago? 
huge leaps and bounds. Um, I think it was 15 years ago that the first DARPA challenge of taking a car, a self-driving car across a desert um, was run. And the, those cars that won it, I think, managed to travel 200 meters. And now they're going you know, <laughs> across um, states in the USA. Mm. So yeah, we've made some huge leaps with that. The actual computing is amazing. I remember back in the early mid 90s trying to use a voice recognition system for some typing. I'd hurt my wrists. I needed to do some typing and I got a, a voice recognition system and the amount of mistakes it made. And, and it was very expensive. And now we've got free software online that you can talk to, and it's pretty good. So, yeah, huge, huge improvements in the last 10 years, and I can see another huge amount coming soon. So going on from that, where do you see us? What robots do you see in the next 10 years? Uh, what will they be doing? There'll be a lot more of the voice recognition and actually speaking to stuff because we still, I, I said earlier, we are talking to our, um, what's the weather, tell me the weather in this place. But we still actually have to get the wording right. Um, we can say, turn off the lights in the living room, and it might do with it, or but turn off the lights in the lounge, or turn the lights off, please, in this room, might not work. And so it, it needs a lot more learning. And we're doing um, a lot of, of learning and also visual learning of, okay, I'm actually looking at a tree now or I'm looking at a bush and I'm looking at a dog. But, so the computer can actually see what it knows, will recognise what it's looking at rather than just saying that's a lot of ones and noughts in a, <laughs> and I can t tell the shade of colour. Mm. And that's that's sort of, that, that to me is a, a sort of AI improving as well. Um and then the mechanic side of it, uh, that's probably, as you say, we've got these devices that can move millimetres at a time. C can we improve on that? Probably. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just now thinking. So the, the, for me, um, I'm a maker, so I like making stuff. And the things that were available 10 years ago and the things that are available to me personally now is amazing of what I could make. So I can now make myself a robot, whereas 10 years ago, it would have been a lot more expensive, a lot more difficult. Um, what actually industry are doing as well is, is again, really good. But I think some of the things we've reached limits of, I mean, we're still using a universal joint that Hook invented um, way, way back when. So some things, you know, we have the best design already. Yeah. And it's materials. So as a maker... What sort of robots can you make? So for someone like me, I've, I've never done any making before. Um, I like looking at robots and so forth, but I don't know what I could create. There's a, a, a really exciting uh, competition called Pi Wars, where they're using a Raspberry Pi computer that's a credit card sized computer that's probably got as much um, computing power as a desktop had 10 years ago. So it's it's not up to you know current state. You wouldn't play um, big games on it at the moment but it's it's a good enough computer and they're about the size of a credit card and about 30 pounds so in the realms of affordable for a lot of people and with that you can attach um sensors and you can attach motors and so you can program it to follow a black line for example so you could make it into a little buggy to have wheels um and so it would it would 
it could travel around and you can program it to follow a black line or work its way through a maze. And so this Pie Wars competition, it's like a decathlon or an Olympics for robots. And one of the competitions is go around an obstacle course and you can still use your remote control for some of those. Um, one of them is, is, is black line. One of them was um, an arcade duck shooting things you you had to make your robot be able to fire a ball at these ducks uh wooden wooden ducks i'll hasten to add um (laughs) and see how many you could knock over and then there was one competition where because we don't want to um fight to destruction because people have spent a lot of time money putting these robots together um and they're about the size that i think they fit on a a4 piece of paper so that, that sort of size um and if you put three balloons, you can attach three balloons and a pin to your robot, and you have to attack another person's robot and and pop their balloons in a sort of sumo wrestle uh, t- type of event. And so you're not actually going for their robot. And it doesn't matter how big or how complex their robot is. It's the skill that either the remote control driver has got or the programming that you've already put into it. And the great thing about that competition is – it doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner. You can use a um, a box set or that you've assembled yourself. So you can actually buy a robot kit and assemble it yourself and then go and, and enter the competition with that. Or you can make everything yourself from designing the parts and then 3D printing them or getting them laser cut and even designing your own electronics, um, putting that in, making your own PCBs. It, it's really the the differences in levels, but everyone can play on the same game. And and so it's, it's really fascinating to watch. It sounds like it's quite, um, uh, a rewarding and probably, I don't know how complex it is. Is it the sort of thing that kids would be able to do? Yes. We, uh, for the, for the pie wars, there's one day that's kids only it's schools. Um, school teams are entering it and I was doing the technical judging and we had primary school kids age four and five, and then uh, on the second day, it's families and uh, individuals um, or, or adult teams. And yes, some of those were um, have been working in the computer industry for years, been engineers for years. And so it's there was the whole yeah, mix there. And some of them were um, some of the parents were like, I have no idea what he's done, but he has done all this himself. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just here to drive him. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, some of the teams have been great. What sort of skills does building a robot other than the, the you know, the very obvious ones, which are, uh, you know, building mechanics and structurally things. What sort of skills can you learn by by building and making your own robots? There's a lot of logic thought that that goes in um, trial and error and learning that failure is actually a good thing because we are so scared of failure now, uh, particularly at schools where it's all, you must pass your exams, you must do this, you must do that, we we must win this football competition or whatever it is. Um, but, and failure is seen as a really bad thing. But for engineering and science, failure is good because we know it's one way that didn't work. And to actually accept that and say, ah, right, yeah, last time I put in these plastic screws and they broke off. So this time I'm going to put in metal screws and that'll be better. And so you've got the incremental improvements that go on um, after each 
thing that you do. And that's really, to me, one of the really uh, great things to see that they're saying, we did this and it broke. Look how well it broke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and next time we're going to make it in a thicker plastic or we're not going to use sellotape. We're going to use um, <laughs> some kind of glue or, or, or welding or, or something else. Uh, so that they've been really good. But they've also, um, you can program your robots. And so learning the programming, uh, whether it's a um, visual um, drag and drop programming, which is what I often use, uh, rather than actually the writing in, in Python or C++, uh, which I'm not so good at. So there's a, there's a lot of logical thought going in. Mm. Uh, so it's it seems that... Um... The the the, ro- the creation of the robots is sort of that sounds like something that like kids can do and move that, but they're moving on that sort of same uh, process of trial and error. Essentially, is that that moved on to the sort of mega robots that we see, like the biggest ones, the the, the smartest ones. Yes, it, it's exactly the same principles. That um, a lever is a lever, no matter if you're working at something in Lego or you're making it in um, titanium. it's 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 still the same sort of sort of thing and you know that you know if you push this that will move um all all those all the theories there and it's just moving it up in scale and complexity um, and having more moving parts really um the very simple robots uh, some of them are made out of lego actually on 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 pie wars um there's some yeah some, some of them are just very simple and but some of the mechanisms that uh, they came up with for launching the ball towards the ducks uh, was ingenious. Someone had pneumatics working in there. Uh, some had elastic bands, um, and some used um, Nerf gun mechanisms. So it's, it's the the as well as the failure. One of the things I like is just the ingenuity. The we don't quite we can't go and buy something off the shelf that does this job what can i what have i got that i can hack that i can make that i can change that will do the job and then this will um also come out into into real life you know if you've got a problem in your in your house in your car and you think oh well you know how can my i can't hold my door closed at the moment what can i do to make that better and so we've um we're very much a throwaway society. And if I like, if we can reuse, repurpose um, or fix, make do amend. Mm. So a, a robot could be something as simple as to, to, to hold a door, essentially, that you make at home. Uh, it could be. Or we could um, look at, OK, my, um, my grandmother now can't open the washing machine door because she got arthritis on her in her hand. And we could maybe make an adaption for that. I think probably I'm pushing the limits of what a robot is there rather than what a just a mechanical <laughs> adaption is, <laughs> rather than saying um, to our, li- our little furry robot toy that we've made, <laughs> go mm-hmm. and open the washing machine door. <laughs> it, that seems like a very advanced robot to do quite a, a, a simple thing in that case. <laughs> yes. But going back to your humanoid thing, that was we can make robots that do very specific things. So the surgeon robot you wouldn't want that trying to fix your car. <laughs> you know, that is just for doing that job. And it looks like it is just for doing that job. Whereas the humanoid ones are more generic and try and do a lot more things, but it's still hard to get it to do what we want. 
<laughs> I, I I did a um, feature once, which was about oh retro robots of like robots of the past, and they were doing just very simple like retro things, like being a robot butler and uh, oh, yeah. a, a robot pool cleaner and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> is is that you know? We've clearly haven't got any robot butlers at the moment, but is that is that something that we can expect in some way? Well, we've got robot uh, uh, vacuum cleaners and we've got robot lawnmowers, but going to a butler, probably not. <laughs> I, I, I suspect the costs involved will be a little bit prohibitive on that. I, you know, it's not too much of an effort to go and make a cup of tea, so I don't know if I need a whole robot to do that. Yeah, and it would just make us lazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, on on the on that matter of sort of like what robots can do, what's the most advanced robot that you can think of? Oh, interesting. It they're very specialized. A lot of them are very specialized. There's one called Baxter that um, is designed to interact. It's in a factory, but it'll work with someone, and so it'll see that you have just finished one process and then it will pass you the screws or the nuts or whatever it is for the next process. Um, and these robots are big and they have a lot of power in them. So they could easily just knock you out by <laughs> by, by waving their arm in the wrong direction and you happen to be in the wrong place. It, it could knock you over. And so that, that safety part of actually having a robot work with a person is something that we're still working on, but something that Baxter's doing quite well. Mm. So we're not sort of at the point of like Terminator where the robots are, are going to hurt us that way? <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's mainly accidental, which is why um, we're not often allowed on the shop floor of a factory because there are robots working and yeah, they, they don't know. <laughs> they can't see us, they can't hear us and they won't stop. Uh, but they'll carry on doing what they were programmed to do. And I think that's the the biggest thing with robots and all this um, artificial intelligence is we can still see, we know where the off switch is and they do what we're, we program them to do. Mm -hmm. So far. So far. <laughs> um, just uh, while I'm thinking, I've got the the, the image of the, the Terminator robots in, in my head. It brings me to the, the, the thought of fictional robots and how they're depicted. As you mentioned Frankenstein earlier. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, A, like how well do we depict robots in cinema? And secondly, which is your favourite cinematic um, or TV <laughs> robot? Well, obviously, I like Matilda from Robot Wars best. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> an armadillo with, uh, yeah. Well, she's uh, a real uh, robot, surely. Well, obviously, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also on TV. There you go. <laughs> um, so the first robot, as I said, that I really came across was our Daniel uh, Oliver in the, in the Asimov books. And every robot for me now has to compare to that. <laughs> uh, so I always get a little bit disappointed. Um, but I did love Me Metal Mickey when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, which will probably only appeal to a very small subset of your <laughs> listeners on this podcast. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some good robots out there. Tweaky from uh, Buck Rogers was also fun. <laughs> this, he made little noises, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so you say in in real life, uh, similar to obviously Matilda has crossed the boundaries of both uh, TV and real life. But do you have other ro robots that you've just gone, wow, that's that's such an incredible and ingenious robot, uh, and and what it does is just amazing. 
most robots that I see, I'm still drooling at, I think. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad I don't have to do that job. <laughs> um, the, the, there are drones that go up and inspect the um, pylons. Um, and so people don't actually have to go up there anymore. But again, it's crossing that boundary of, is it a remote control um, machine? Or has it got that bit of intelligence inside it? Uh, has it been pre-programmed already? Some of the bomb disposal um, robots that can go into areas and uh, sniff out chemicals. Uh, you know, is this a chemical area? Can we send humans in here? Are absolutely fascinating. The Boston Dynamics, um, all of Boston Dynamics robot <laughs> dogs um, scare me to death. Mm. Uh, I saw one recently that opened a door for another robot and let it out. <laughs> so okay, yeah, that's they're getting better and better. Um, I remember seeing my, I think the first Boston Robotics ones I saw was 2011 and someone could kick it over and it got up again. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that was quite impressive then. And so in those seven years since then, they've improved a lot. So yeah, there are a lot of robots out there. The tiny, tiny ones, the ant weight um, or ant size, um, bionic ants, uh, they work together to move large loads. They're really impressive. What do they do? So they're, they're based on real ants um, and they're 3D printed and they can just collaborate together. They sort of know where each other is and can lift things. So I think there's not real much purpose in them at the moment other than they're demonstrating that this can be done. That, that demonstrating things that can be done, that makes me think um, there are a lot of robots out there which, you know, can seem a bit pointless and seem a bit useless is that do we make useless robots essentially just to show what can be done it helps <laughs> <laughs> um i find in a lot of my maker work that i'll make something that's really silly really fun uh but the underlying principles of what went into it can be put into a real life situation and so i can catch the eye with this is a really fun um, I made some um, firecrackers, indoor firecrackers that were using a uh, e-cigarette smoke and LED lights, so it was safe, and that just like caught the attention. But instead of the um, e-cigarette, I could have had a motor, and the lights could have been some kind of other sensor. Um, so it could have worked in a factory. That's the underlying programming and what I'd used um, could have been there. So to see something like um, Sophia robot, which is a artificial intelligence um, designed robot. She has the, I think, the head and shoulders, maybe the whole body of looking humanoid. And she's been given citizenship of Saudi Arabia. Um, and some of the things that she asks, I can't quite work out if they're actually pre-programmed, if she's learning um, or, or how it's working. But some of that is um, one of the questions a journalist asked was, how long have I got to live? And she just turned around and said, 10 minutes. <laughs> and I can't work out if that was meant to be humor <laughs> or, or not. Um, so she's quite impressive, but still has a, lot, a long way to go. But she's um, because she can tell jokes, she can get onto daytime TV chat shows um, and actually bring robots into the lives of people who probably wouldn't see them. If you, if you don't work in a factory, if you don't work with these things, you wouldn't come across them in everyday life. And therefore, 
you don't know about them and you just don't start thinking about how you could use them. So is that one of the things that we need to see see all to all different types and different kinds of robots to get that into our minds? I think so, yes. And to stop making them quite so scary, <laughs> apart from maybe Sophia when she, she's a bit dark. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking that with the I've I've seen Sophia and then also the 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 Boston Dynamics robots that opened doors. There's something quite natural and human about their movements and the way they are. And I know that's that's this uncanny valley. Um, yeah. What's happening there? Do you know? In in in, in an in an uncanny what in a robot robotic uncanny valley situation. It's something that's almost quite as we expected, but not quite not enough as we expect it to be fine. I think I found a very similar thing. My first trip to the USA, and it was very much like Britain, but it just wasn't. <laughs> and for me, that was you know, my uncanny valley of going to Silicon Valley, actually. Um, and and you know, seeing the yellow school buses that I'd only ever seen in The Simpsons. Um, so it was sort of, this is very much how I'm expecting it, but actually it's not quite right. And that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. So some of these, um, these robots that are, that is almost, I can almost interact with it in a human way. Um, but, and it's not quite a robot, but it's not looking, um, machine enough to be a machine, but it's not actually being human enough to be a human. And there's something really wrong with that. (laughs) There's um that that thought of being uncomfortable makes me think about what 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 are we doing with robots? Where are we taking them? Are there are we going down a route with some robots that that is going to make us feel uneasy about our use for them? So, for instance, you've got things like um, uh, using robots for weaponry or using robots to um, do things that other people might find a bit weird. Essentially, yes, I'm an engineer, and I like to think: is it possible? Can we make it? How can we make it? And I'm really hoping that there's some ethics people uh, keeping an eye on all us engineer types who <laughs> are saying, yes, just because you can <laughs> doesn't mean you should. Does, is there some sort of guiding body of uh, the ethics of robots that's, that they're saying when you build something, they go, like, mm, I, I'm not sure about that. Not saying that you're building weapons or anything like that. <laughs> lasers, sharks on, <laughs> lasers on sharks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The yes, the, there are various bodies, but um, it's more gentlemen's agreement rather than a police force of you cannot do. So, for example, I'm a, a fellow of the Institute of Mechanical Engineers, and if I'm doing something that's really dodgy, they will come down on me, and, and they could you know, take away my membership. So, on a personal level and on business levels, you've got that. Uh, companies, you've got shareholders who can kick up and say, no, actually, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, so, there are some safeguards in there. But if I was a, um, you know, if I had my volcano lair and my <laughs> white fluffy cat, I'm not sure <laughs> what could be stopping me. I assume that would be a white fluffy robotic cat. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, lovely. So, uh, I'm just now I'm just thinking like robots where can we go where can we find you know ultimately in we've talked about the next 10 years but in 100 years time or however further that what it's there a limit to where robots could take us essentially I don't think so I no I um I'm really excited about where they're going to be. I'm really excited about having um, cars that I don't have to drive, uh, particularly when I get to an age where I can't drive. 
And so, <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to that. To that. Um, yeah, the robots to do jobs. I think humans are very creative. And actually, in the last, when I, when I started primary school, everyone had a hand knitted jumper. Um, and, you know, that was just one of the things that someone's nan, gran, a granny or mother or, or someone in their family would have knitted them the jumper. By the time I left primary school, if you didn't have a shop bought jumper, you were frowned upon. And so sort of the knitting and the craft and the creativity that went into that was sort of lost. It was sort of seen as a, a secondary um, a secondary thing. And I think particularly in a factory, uh, a manager in a factory is to make sure that everyone does something, does their thing exactly how it should be done. And you can't adapt. You can't change that without you know, a whole load of paperwork and say, oh, it would be better if. But humans are very good at finding that would be better if. And so if we had the robots to do the dull, dangerous, dirty, mundane stuff, then I think we could actually spend a lot more human creativity time making things better for everybody. That was Dr Lucy Rogers, who provides the foreword in the fabulous book Robots, published by DK Children. Thanks for listening to the Science Focus podcast. The November issue of BBC Focus magazine is out this week, and in it we find out how spider bots could help reveal more about Neanderthal brains. We also reveal how wolves communicate using facial expressions, explore the intriguing world of microbes in the British gut, discover how lava lamps are linked to election hacking, and find out more about the British spaceport. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.